Thanks for listening to the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast. Today on the pod, Metro Vancouver pushes back on the province's new housing policy, arguing the one-size-fits-all legislation just doesn't work. One local mayor says, too little, too late, and it's about time lower mainland leaders just get on with it. Plus, Keith Baldry joins us for the week that was in politics, and Andy Barrar returns from his visit to the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. From transparent TVs to robot baristas, we get a report card on this year's tech standout. That's all next on the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast. Let's talk housing. At this hour, the Metro Vancouver Board is debating the findings of a new regional planning report, which says the province's new housing legislation undermines local city control and that the blanket approach ignores official community plans, which have been put together over years. Now, critics have also said the push for higher density and the effective killing of single-family neighbourhoods will also lead to urban sprawl. Now, the landmark housing legislation introduced by the province pushes for greater density and for housing to be approved in a faster manner. Now, critics say the one-size-fits-all approach just doesn't work. Now, joining me now to discuss the issue is Langley Township Mayor Eric Woodward. Eric, thank you for uh, speaking to us today. Yeah, thanks, Jess, again for having me on. Uh, this new Metro Vancouver Regional Planning Report that's come out, uh, walk me through uh, what, in your mind, uh, it, it articulates and the message it sends to the provincial government. Well, I think it's a, it's a good summary put together by you know the very capable staff, planning staff at Metro Vancouver. That there's a number of uh, concerns throughout the region on on the one size fits all approach that you and I have talked about before, Jazz. That uh, I think is starting to be documented and put forward to the Ministry of the Housing, and I think that's a positive step to, to try to advocate for some adjustments to the legislation. Now, one of the things the report says that, as you said, it was a one-size-fit-all. Uh, I'm looking at a quote from the Vancouver Sun where it says, uh, quote, spreading growth to outlying single-detached neighbourhoods in the region cannot be considered strategic infill. Um, what do you say mm. to the argument that, look, we've we got to do something, and at least the provincial government's on to something here in regards to, you know, trying to kickstart more development, more supply, and at the same time standardizing some of this stuff so we don't have these delays. What do you say to that? Yeah, that one I think would be good to get some more feedback on from what they're really getting to with that. I think it's important to note that all of the development going on in the region is occurring within the urban containment boundary. But some of those some of those boundaries do do butt up against rural areas and it may be more appropriate to consider lower density in some of those areas adjacent to to areas where maybe it's not anticipated for lots of growth to occur. And I think that that's what they're getting at. I think it's very difficult for the minister to anticipate you know all of these pieces of feedback when they're trying to get housing built. And I still respect and, and support the ultimate objective of getting more affordable housing available options for, for everyday people. And I think it's uh, we're hitting the point now where it's time to, to start moving forward in a positive way and for the mayors and municipalities to get to work on complying with the legislation and uh, making the best of it that we can. And that's the, that's the mode that the township is in now uh, versus last year. We advocated strongly for changes. Uh, I think the minister listened and he made a decision and it's up to us now to execute it as best we can. Do you think the, the initial legislation that was brought in was more, how do I say this, uh, you know, geared toward communities like Vancouver, but really didn't take into consideration Langley Townships, the, the Surreys, uh, probably even the Abbotsfords and Chilliwacks, where you have a bit more room to build uh, in your fast-growing communities? Do you think the, the focus was too um, urban-centric? Well, you know, that the areas that the township is developing are urban. 
So, you know, I think they, they accounted for those areas as best as they could, you know, given the ultimate objective, which is to, to have more housing built in these single-family areas. And that's the decision that they've made. Whether it's Vancouver-centric or Burnaby-centric, you know, I think it's time to, to move on from the idea that the legislation is going to be changed. And uh, we're now in the Township of Langley working on a plan to really make it a positive thing and do the best we can uh, for the Township of Langley, uh, complying with the legislation and perhaps looking at community planning in a different way than we have in the past uh, to get things done more quickly. So is this you throwing in the towel saying, these guys aren't going to change, I've got to make the best best of what they've given me here? Or do you think uh, between your private conversations with them, there's enough flexibility for you to continue to do what you want to do in your community in Langley Township and still provide you the flexibility to build and develop some of these uh, greenfield sites. I mean, because I'm, I'm, based on your conversation initially on this show, many times you and I have talked, and you certainly weren't happy. Now you're, I would say, probably accepting of what's coming. What's changed? What, what convinced you to say this is the way to go? Is it just you throwing in the yeah, towel? Yeah, well, well, I think uh, I don't I don't throw in the towel, Jazz. But I think what's happening here is you know we're seeing a, a memo from Metro Vancouver two months, three months too late. Um, you know, I was quick to the conversation very early on when the legislation was proposed, um, and now it's passed, and uh, it's, it's, it's a reality on the ground. We have deadlines to meet. We have housing that the minister's made it very clear he wants to see us get built. The premier's made that very clear. And I'm here to work with the provincial government. Uh, we, we lobbied very clearly for what we felt were the interests of the Township of Langley, some of the unanticipated consequences. I think they've heard that, and hopefully they can make some changes over time. In the meantime, it's my job to make the best of it for the Township of Langley residents and taxpayers and work with my council and my staff to advance uh, in a positive, constructive way. Um, I, I respect Metro Vancouver's report. I think it's very valuable to document these concerns, get them over to the minister. But, you know, in my opinion, that's a couple of months too late. Why did it take Metro Vancouver this long to respond in your mind? I mean, if you're saying it's too late... Uh, you know, you're not the only mayor that expressed those concerns. Why do you think it took this long for Metro Vancouver collectively as a region to, to, to express some of this? Well, housing's a complicated file. I mean, there's, uh, there's Metro 2050, there's TransLink's Transport 2050, there's years of community planning processes in place and expectations. You know, I think like uh, myself and a few other mayors, Metro Vancouver is maybe caught off guard a little bit, caught by surprise at the speed at which the legislation was adopted. You know, you know, on one hand, I, I wish there had been more time to consider some of the implications. On the other hand, I like to get things done, too. And uh, clearly, the Premier and the Minister are in a mode of, of advancing this legislation and uh, looking at some of the challenges later and perhaps making changes. And, you know, we've done that on occasion here in the township. You're trying to get things done quickly, move forward, get things done. And uh, I respect that. Um, and I look forward to, to seeing the minister's response to the Metro Vancouver submission. Um, one of the things that's been raised in this report also is that you'll have to update uh, your zoning bylaws uh, to reflect some of these changes by th- June 30th. You'll also have to update your official community plans, the uh, municipalities will, by December 31st of 2025. That's a lot. I mean, official community plans sound wonderful, but they take a lot, a lot of work. I've sat through some of these meetings. Um, is that enough time for you to sort of redo the official community plan? Well, and let's, let's break that out. The zoning bylaw requirements, uh, that's something where I think Metro Vancouver's uh, very capable planning staff can really help the region. You know, let's, uh, let's not have every municipality recreate the wheel 21 times. Perhaps Metro Vancouver 
can put forward a you know significant amount of uh, documentation, suggestions, draft bylaws that we can all look at and perhaps meet the deadline uh, without you know a ton of work being duplicated all by these different bureaucracies. That's my hope, and I'm going to be talking about that uh, today even. And, you know, on the second side, the requirements around the community planning process, I think we're starting to talk about how can we innovate? How can we get things done faster? How can we, you know, maybe look at the processes of these community plannings, uh, you know, existing processes that, you know, that, the, that go on for a very, very long time. Perhaps we can look at different ways to meet these requirements, get community plans done faster and in, innovate, as I've said. You know, rather than you know, complain. I, I don't know what complaining is going to accomplish here anymore uh, versus last year, Jazz. And I think it's time for us to take the Premier seriously, take the Housing Minister seriously. They've issued a challenge to get these things done, and it's our intention here in the township to at least try. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you said it's a little too late. Uh, do you think your fellow uh, mayors uh, in the Metro Vancouver, um, in Metro Vancouver would agree with you? On, on this issue, that it's too late now to to maybe consult, perhaps change, or, or at least uh, impact legislation because it has already been brought through? Do you think your fellow mayors share your concerns or your perspective? Well, we'll find out more today. Yeah, maybe, you know, find out more today. I think the speed, again, you talk about this, really, the speed at which this legislation was proposed and, and finalized uh, did catch some of us off guard. But, I mean, i got to let every mayor speak for themselves. Um, from what I've generally heard around the region, is a variety of opinions. You know, some mayors like the plan, some had a lot of concerns. Uh, I share Mayor Stewart's concern about Bill 46 and amenity cost charges. Uh, that probably has some some significant impacts for us. And you know, we're still assessing some of these other uh, pieces of legislation that maybe haven't been talked about as much. But we're going to again, we're going to get to work and uh, meet the deadlines, meet the requirements, comply with the legislation. And again, I'm going to make the best of it I can for uh, everybody here in the Township of Langley. Eric, uh, as always, uh, thank you for your time. I know we do have the Minister joining us next week in studio to talk about some of these issues, and I'll be uh, posing those questions to him. Really appreciate you making time and speaking on this issue. Thanks so much. Yeah, and thanks again, Jess. Earlier this week, Parks Canada warned Canadians not let moose lick their cars. That's right, lick their cars. You heard that correctly. Well, it turns out moose love the taste of road salt and need salt uh, in their diets. Doc, to talk to us a little bit about the issue is Dr. Roy Ray. He's a professor of ecosystem science and management at the University of Northern British Columbia. Dr. Ray, thank you for joining us. Hey, you're welcome, Jazz. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I, talk to me a little bit about this. I didn't know much about this at all. How common is this where moose are coming down and licking cars, whether it be in the interior or other parts of Canada? Well, where moose are common and where roads bisect their habitats, it's uh, I wouldn't say it's a common occurrence, but it's something that does happen as soon as salt is applied to roads because moose in the winter have a hard time getting salt. Otherwise, they eat twigs and bark because everything else is covered up with snow and ice and if they don't have a farmer's field that they can go and steal a little bit of salt from a salt block from, mm -hmm. and they're crossing a road and notice there's salt on the road, maybe take a lick, then uh, there's a readily accessible source of salt that they need and, and apparently like the taste of because they'll either lick it right from the road or they'll lick your car that's uh, been busy going up and down those roads collecting it on the sides of the car. And I guess to a certain degree... It can be a, a, a great hazard not only to people but to the moose itself because of their proximity at times uh, to highways and roadways, right? Oh, it sure can. If the moose are hanging out near the road because there's salt there, I mean, you could 
hit them if they were licking salt from the road. But if you stopped, as was the case in uh, Parks Canada report where some folks were stopping and probably just to innocently take pictures of the moose and then the moose comes up and starts licking their car and then they're doing selfies and all kinds of things. What you're not doing, Mm -hmm. as you should be when you're in a car, is paying attention to the rest of the traffic. And so that's where a lot of people get in trouble. So if you don't hit the moose itself, you see the moose in time. But you pull over, it's getting dark, and somebody else isn't paying attention to you, and you're selfie-taking a view in the moose like in your car, then that could result in a collision. Uh, I, I'm curious, uh, what times of month? You were saying, is it the winter season where they're, where they're looking for salt then? Yeah, they normally have access to it at other times of the year when there's green vegetation or when basically when snow and ice aren't around because they can either access it by eating greenery of the summer and the spring or if um, they don't get everything that they need out of the vegetation they eat they can go to naturally occurring or roadside mineral licks and get it right from the earth but in the winter it's harder to find they still need it just the same as you and i do we need it for nerve and muscle function and cell membrane function and fluid balance and all those kinds of things but if they're having a hard time getting it they're going to go where they can and if it just happens to be on a road or on the side of your car look out because they're coming for it mm. uh, what's our population of moose uh, in this province like are they relatively healthy is it a healthy population well In some parts of the province, we have stable populations. There may even be a couple of jurisdictions where the population is increasing. But across most of the province, and for the last 20 years, we've we've had declines. And and in some places, up to 50 to 70 percent decline. What's causing this? Well, that's a complex question, and we don't really have a clear answer. There's, uh, it's probably cumulative impacts where there's landscape change, there's climate change, there's well, there's a lot of things going on out there, Jazz, and it would be an entire radio program for an hour to talk about it. But let's just say it's complex and we don't know. But this certainly doesn't help if we have a population that's struggling and then they're on the on the roads licking salt and getting hit by cars and other folks are stopping and letting them lick their cars. And again, this isn't a common occurrence, but just for those that get in this situation, just, just keep moving because we don't want you getting rear-ended and you and the moose losing their lives over a salt lick. Have you ever seen a moose licking a car? I've seen moose licking all kinds of things, and I I was privileged enough for several years to be able to work at the Northern Lights Wildlife Shelter where they raise orphaned moose. Mm -hmm. And I've certainly seen moose do all kinds of things, and I've seen them bend down and lick the roads. But although I have friends that have had this happen to them and they've sent me pictures, I've never actually myself seen it. A moose like a car. <laughs> there you go. Well, I really appreciate you making time for us this Friday, and I really appreciate the work that you do because it's so vitally important uh, for the moose and just for the ecosystem here in British Columbia. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Jazz. The week that was begins right now. Joining me now is Global BC's Legislative Bureau Chief, Keith Baldry. Good afternoon, Keith. Happy Friday there, Jazz. Happy Friday. A couple of issues uh, that uh, caught my eye this week. I think we should talk about both. First of all, let's go to the city of Surrey and the ongoing policing challenge. And just when you think that, you know nothing new is going to come out of there, it's going to be quiet for a while. We learned this week that uh, the city of Surrey is refusing to pay uh, old wages to 10 new recruits with the Surrey Police Service. Turns out the police union uh, said uh, they are going to cover the cost at this particular point. Um, 
they are saying that the city of Surrey is withholding uh, those wages. Uh, now, the city says uh, the SPS has a budget of $48 million for 2023, and they've already exceeded it by $23 million. Uh, at this particular point, there's a bit of a stand-up. A Solicitor General Mike Farnworth was made aware of this controversy. Take a listen to what he had to say. It is the law of the province of British Columbia that Surrey will be policed by the Surrey Police Service. It is time to stop this obstructionism and get on with the transition. The fact that you have men and women who want to dedicate their lives to that, and then the city says, oh, we're not going to pay you? Who does that? Who does that? Well, apparently, when it comes to Surrey, Surrey does that. What are your thoughts on this? I mean, when does this end? Well, you know, I had a long talk with Harmouth about this. Is somewhat exasperated by Brenda Locke's antics here, or strategy. Um, but he pointed out to me, the province has a lot of moving parts in its relationship with municipalities that involves money. And I get the strong impression that um, Surrey may end up paying for this in other ways, um, being penalized by the province when it comes to funding for various things. Uh, no decision's been made yet. He says all options are being studied here. One could be where the, where the province steps in and pays the wages of people and then bills Surrey for that uh, that money and provinces just have a pretty good provincial governments have a pretty good track record in collecting debts owed by municipalities so you're right this isn't over this was an unexpected turn and i probably given the track record here in the pattern it's probably going to be more unexpected turns the province also disputes this budget figure uh, surrey council's putting out saying that they only funded surrey police service for half a year they never did give full-year funding. So they said if there was full-year funding, as there should be, then there'd be no no deficit, no problem. So it's just another chapter in this long-running feud, and I hesitate to predict where it's going to go next. Now, the city has spent ha- is spending half a million dollars on this you know, public awareness campaign. You can call it a PR campaign, whatever you want to call it. They're putting up... Uh, Billboards, which they have in regards to, you know, referring to this whole Surrey mess as the NDP Surrey tax. Uh, they've sent, uh, you know, mailed out flyers to people's residence, residences. I think there's more uh, more information coming out as well uh, in regards to this campaign. There was, a, uh, a, a, I guess, a poll put out as well, which talked about people's support of Miss Locke and the RCMP. Um, do you worry, does the NDP worry? that this could impact them in the next provincial election, which is very, you know, it's expected in the fall. Well, it's a, I mean, you look at the seats the NDP's won there. Most of them are won easily. Um, so it's, it's, I don't detect, and that, that poll was kind of rather loaded when you looked at the questions that the staff put in, City Hall staff put in. So I don't put much stock in that poll. Um, but obviously, the, the electors likely split on this issue, but I don't think it's an 80-20 thing or a 90-10. Mm-hmm. It's probably closer to a 50-50 or 60-40. And you look at what the writings the writing the NDP holds in Syria, with the exception of one, they're all very strong NDP writings. Um, mm-hmm. One is a swing writing, but, you know, Harry Baines, Bruce Ralston, Jenny, Jenny Sims, uh, these are very safe seats. So I don't think um, they're worried about from that aspect. I think they do would like to pick up a writing like Surrey White Rock, where they almost won and lost by less than 300 votes last time. Maybe that writing goes out of sight now because of a, a controversy like this. But I don't think there's too much concern that I've picked up that their Surrey seats are, are in jeopardy uh, because of this particular issue. I just don't think public sentiment that I've seen is is one-sided for one or the other. It seems to be a fairly 60-40 type proposition. Do you think this will come to an end with maybe the provincial government offering a bit more money 
money to Surrey. Right now it's $150 million is on the table. Would it take a bit more money to where there could be a, um, uh, you know, no. some sort of agreement? Or do you think this is good? Surrey's going to be kicking and screaming right to the end? I don't think there's any evidence that Surrey would change its position, Brenda Locke would change her position simply because there's more money on the table. In fact, uh, this could actually, as I say, penalize Surrey. Uh, if the province decides to start sending some bills their way, if they're not paying for Surrey police services. So, no, uh, David Evie's been fairly clear as well, and he says there is no more money than the $150 million that's on the table there. I mean, I think a lot of this is Brenda Locke is, is I think, running for re-election, um, and it's not a bad position to be seen as fighting for your municipality against the big, bad provincial government. But she does run the risk at some point of maybe going a little too far and this coming back to hurt her. But I think she's basically trying to portray herself as the champion of Surrey. And that's not a bad re-election strategy, quite frankly, to pick a fight with a provincial government. Not necessarily a fight you're going to win, but a fight you can say at the end of the day, well, I gave it everything I, ha- I could, everything I had, um, but in my defense of Surrey rather than any other issue out there. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about another issue, and that's about demographics. Uh, uh, you've raised this issue in a past column. I had um, Health Minister Adrian Dix on the show earlier this week, and that's the broader conversation about our record immigration levels and and, and rapidly aging population in this in British Columbia. Over the past two years, more than 337 more people joined our MSP system. Uh, at the same time, it's expected over the next 10 years, our seniors' population, which represents about 20% of the population, will go to 24%. So one out of four people in British Columbia would be seniors. And that those age 65 and older will, there will be more people age 65 and older than those people aged uh, 17 and younger by next year. Uh, this has a tremendous, tremendous impact, of course, on our healthcare system. Adrian Dixon, I talked about that earlier this week. Take a listen to his comments specifically when it comes to cancer numbers. In the next 12 years, we're going to go from 30,000 cancer diagnoses a year to 45,000 cancer diagnoses in a year. And that is a very significant and daunting thing. That's a 50% increase. We have some challenges now that we're addressing, but that's going to be 50% more in a decade. So that tells you, and a lot of that increase is age-related. So it speaks to the uh, demographic challenges that we have on top of uh, uh, an immigration system that's, quite frankly, on steroids right about now. Um, Keith, I, I don't know how you slow this down until Ottawa decides, at the very least on the, on, the, on the new Canadians coming to this country, that Ottawa decides, you know, we've got to stop or slow down here. Well, you mentioned 337 over the last two years. That doesn't include this year. So this year we're on track to having close to another 200,000 people. So that's a half million people added to the province's population in three years, which is an enormous number. I reported this this week, and Health Minister Adrian Dix put it out, we had a record number of people in hospital two days ago. Yesterday's number wasn't quite as high, but it was still a new record compared to the the previous uh, last year. It was just another you know, 10,445 people in hospital when it was rare to get above 10,000 for the longest time. Now it's almost routine, particularly during respiratory illness season. And that puts a huge strain on the healthcare system, uh, particularly as one thing, they didn't get a lot of notice this week, but... Uh, uh, Dix also put out the the health uh, absent uh, people home sick healthcare workers eighteen thousand missed at least one shift because of illness. 
I think that's a record because I was tracking those numbers through the height of the pandemic, and I, don't, I think we only got over 17,000 once or twice. So you combine 18,000 people being off sick uh, with record number of beds being used. Uh, Vancouver Coastal, as of a couple of days ago, had just 21 hospital base beds available for the population. Fraser Health had 70 base beds. If you can't get a base bed, you're going to be put in a surge bed in hospital, and those are literally the hallway beds, the closet beds. Um, you know, the non-ward beds. So it's a very serious situation in the hospital. And it's not, it probably slow down once we get out of respiratory illness season. But you go back to last summer, the summer used to be a time when there would be relatively fewer people in hospital. But we never did get that dip last summer. We're unlikely to get it in the coming summer. So when you get a half million people coming in, just statistically, if, you know, if X percent of the population is sick at any one time or seriously ill enough to be in hospital, if you add that half a million more people into the system, that means that many more people are going to be, not that many people, but just a lot more people are going to be in the hospital, which is why Dix also pointed out this week, they can't literally can't build hospitals and healthcare facilities fast enough because to keep pace with the, with the population. Uh, more hospital beds have to be added to the system. More hospitals have to be added to the system. And then back to your point about cancer, that's the big one going down the road. If we're doubling the cancer cases by 50%, that puts enormous pressure on oncologists and on on everything from diagnostic early diagnosis to treatment and that's going to be a real challenge in the in the years ahead i mean the population explosion is driving so much of what's happening in bc whether it's healthcare housing or even congested roads well, the Consumer Electronics Show of 2024 was certainly interesting this year. AI is being inserted into everything from TVs to cars or some genuine surprises as well from the show floor in Las Vegas. Andy Barrar was there. He found plenty of cool things interesting and just plain weird gadgets as well. Andy, welcome. Welcome. Thank you, Jazz. When did you get in? I got in last night. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I still haven't slept. I didn't sleep any, at all in Vegas, but... Uh, <laughs> Been drinking lots of caffeine and uh, coffee. Have. I bet you have. So I was saying, that from what I've been reading, AI is now being, artificial intelligence is being integrated in a lot more gadgets already. Yeah. Well, you have to remember, ChatGPT came out in November of 2022. Okay. So that's CES last year. There was no AI. It was so new. So, you know, they just had their typical, you know, gadgets and, and product releases. But one year, everything changed because of AI. So this year, they were embedding AI into pretty much everything from your fridge to your oven to your pillow even your toothbrush has gotten ai um integration into it so when you say ai is being integrated let's say your fridge how, how would that work so samsung was showing a, a kind of a new high-tech fridge that has a camera built inside it when you put food in say like a head of lettuce it recognizes that food and it knows that you have it, it inside then on the top of the screen on the front of the fridge is pretty much a an lcd panel and you can you know say what the expiry date is and and then it'll give you recipes based upon what's inside your fridge. So we can understand all the different items that you have and then give you recipe suggestions and notifications that it might be expiring. That, you know, I okay, I see it, but I don't see a lot of utility because it seems like you have to kind of interact with it a lot. But then they showed me an oven, yeah. an AI-enabled oven. And what they showed is someone putting a pizza inside it. it. Again, it has a camera inside. It knows it's a pizza. It sets the temperature and everything to exactly what you need. So you don't really have to look at the box anymore to see what the temperature you need. It'll recognize the food in there and then give you the exact temperature and settings for you to, to then uh, bake that pizza. Wow. Yeah. So and I thought that was cool. That is really cool. Now, one of the other things I was hearing about was 
uh, a smart lamp. Tell me more about this smart lamp. Yeah, so this is another great uh, application of AI that I thought had a lot of utility. It's a company called Nobi, and essentially it's like a, a light fixture that you would put in your bedroom, you put in your living room, but they're made for seniors. And this one has a camera, it has infrared, it has a lot of technology inside it. And what it's doing is it's recognizing if somebody is sitting or standing, but if someone falls down, then it gives an alert and talk to the person because there's a two-way audio microphone and speaker in it, and it asks the person, are you okay? And then the, if they don't get a response, it will then send a call to a loved one to say, hey, we just detected a fall, and we haven't been able to, to respond to this person, and you can integrate it with your smart locks, so it'll automatically unlock the door to make sure that someone can come and help you, and it will even alert the authorities. And I thought that was a good one application of AI because they're looking to put this into nursing homes. Mm. You know, you might have uh, uh, you know parents that want to live at home, but you want that peace of mind knowing if anything happens to them that you can get that alert. And that was just another great application of using AI in a lamp and oh, inside of a light. Yeah, that is amazing. Now, one of the things I was reading was uh, this conversation about. A transparent TV. Yes. Now, how does that work? Yeah, so this is really stole the show. Uh, both Samsung and LG showed transparent televisions. So it kind of just looks like plexiglass. You can see right through it. Okay. But then when you turn it on, now you got color and everything. It looks like a traditional television. But when you turn it off, you can literally see right through it. And the, the big question is like, do we need this? Why would you want this? And, you know, imagine if you're in an apartment, you got this beautiful view of Vancouver, and then you have this huge 55-inch television that's black blocking that view. Well, with the transparent television, you can see right through it. When you want to watch TV, you turn it on, and now you have a TV. So you can kind of look right through it. And so they're saying that in the future, you know, when we're designing homes, you might just have a transparent television embedded inside it. Oh, wow. That changes the way you can, you look at your living room and, and, and how we sort of live. Yes. Yeah. Not only that, Jazz, but in small businesses, say you have a bakery shop and you want to show all your baked goods so people can look at it, but then you could have the price, you could have the calorie counts and all mm. that on the color. And they did show something like that. So I, I, I do see a future for that. Um, LG says their their transparent television will come out later this year. Samsung, it's still in development, but the future. And you know, CES is always about televisions. You know, that's where they introduced three D TVs. One yeah. year they had curved TVs. Yes, yeah, remember that. Now we have transparent eight K TVs. <laughs> now you were showing me something during the break in regards to these graphics. Yes, uh, walk me through what this is about. So there's a company called Proto Hologram. And this is what blew me away. And I, if people want to see this, you can go on my Instagram, Handy Andy Media, because you really have to check this out. Essentially, what they did is they filmed me. They had this camera that was on a white backdrop, and they were just kind of filming and said, make some movements and, and whatnot. Then I walk over to this like box. It's this clear box. And suddenly, there is a hologram version of me inside of this box. And you have to see it because it's life size, exact same height as me. Yeah. And I'm looking at it, and then they, they just dial it up and have me age before my eyes. So my, my hair is going gray. I got wrinkles now all over on my face. And then they dial it back to make it look like how I would have looked when I was 20. So they're just kind of you, – you're literally watching yourself age before your eyes. 
I'm telling you folks, you have to check this out. Just search on Instagram, Handy Andy Media. I posted it before I came here because it, you really have to see it to understand the, the power of that technology. What's the practical purpose of that? So they had a couple that they were thinking about. So university professors, if you have to give a lecture and you're unable to travel or you want to give lectures in multiple places... It really looks like you're there. And what they were saying is a lot of professors now are creating actual lectures, recording it onto a hard drive, and then they can play it again and again and again in different places. Of course, they could use that in the entertainment field. We saw holograms for artists that have passed away Mm -hmm. already. So that technology has been around. This is the first time I saw it. Like When you see a a hologram of yourself, it really hits home on the power. With the technology, the way they did it, because you showed me, you're visibly aging. I'm visibly aging. Within seconds, you can see me, and then boom, in like two seconds, it's like added 30 years to me. You can see the wrinkles on my face and my hair going all well, gray. Yeah, absolutely. It's very interesting. Okay, the final product, I want to ask you about this this battery bank you were talking about. Tell me more about this. Yeah, so clean energy. There's a company called Anchor, and mm-hmm. what they're creating is these power stations for the home. Yep. And you connect this to a solar panel on the top, and then you can collect all of that energy into this power bank. If the power goes out, you know, typically people will have a generator that's gas powered. Now you can take this power bank, connect all of your devices, like say your router and your modem, if you want to get Wi-Fi when the power's out, you can connect that and then use it. Or you can take that power bank with you. If you go camping and you want to power all your devices, you take it with you. The great thing about this is that it's free energy because you're collecting it from the sun and it's being stored in this power bank. And I think we're going to have these in our homes in the near future because it has so much utility because it's not if the power goes out, it's only a matter of when. And we're so connected with all our devices today. We don't know what to do with ourselves when the power goes out. So now something like this, I think, um, would really help a lot of people out there, especially if you have a lot of power outages in your area. Well, in the future, <laughs> there's a lot of change, that's for sure. Sometimes a bit, it's a bit over. Do you get overwhelmed by it sometimes? All the time, Jess. All the time. You yeah. know, I, I, you always think that I've seen it all, and then something comes and it just blows your way, like autonomous self-driving cars. And I sat in one. It had no steering wheel, no gas pedal. So they're trying to reimagine what a car would look like yeah. if it's driving itself. It's coming, I tell you. Maybe I'm, I'm a little, probably a little late for me, but for a lot of folks out there, that's for sure. Andy, as always, thank you. Thanks, Jess joined by show contributor Jerry Mayer Judson and I think you're perfect uh, perfect timing for you uh, <laughs> based on uh, your pedigree coming from My pedigree. yes coming from Alberta mm-hmm. what were your thoughts yesterday watching us uh, Vancouverites uh, cope with Actually, you know, the fact that we actually live in Canada and it's winter. <laughs> Sometimes a Canadian winter does come off of the West Coast and hammers Vancouver for one day and everyone loses their minds. In fact, I have some audio here from real live Vancouverites as the snow, the first snowflake started to fall. Let's have a listen. You're as cold as ice. <laughs> Highway 91 eastbound was clear for several hours at the S-curve due to a 17-car pileup. Police say icy conditions were to blame, but no one was injured, thankfully. A car has littered the side of Royal Oak Avenue in Burnaby, where the ice and incline was too much. And many drivers appear to have uh, left their vehicles behind due to the conditions. Get out the road! 
Oh my god, no, not this one too! Oh, oh, oh. The whole road is just ice. It hasn't been salted. It's just like a lot of cars, man. A lot of cars moving slow. No one has like uh, tires on and stuff. What would you tell anybody thinking of heading out right now? Just don't. Just don't. Stay home. I have layers under my turtleneck. I'm in a thick parka and I can feel the cold just seeping through my jacket. My cheeks are frozen. I saw a couple cars make it. I tried to fight it out myself and obviously it didn't turn out too well. Um, but yeah, here we are. We made a V-shape. I turned off and came up here because there's tons of people turning off going up here, right? But now I've come up here and this is everybody's lined up here. So might as well just stayed where I was on low heat. <laughs> it's brutal though. Two centimeters of snow. Two whole centimeters north of the Fraser River and everyone lost their minds. I will say that uh, the ice is a problem. Snow, I got snow, I, you can learn to drive in snow. The, the sheets of ice on the road, definitely a problem. Um, it's really tough. You just, you just have to, you know what I think it might be? I think I might know specifically traffic wise. I think you get to know the way that your car works a little more intimately if you're used to driving in actual Canadian winter conditions. No, that's actual. But uh, just you, you know what to do when your car is skidding. You know what to do when you when you know what speed to take a hill if it's super icy. You know how and what angle to approach it at. And I think that uh, especially if you've got three season tires on, I think that that might be presented challenge. <laughs> However, I do sympathize. Did you see the video of uh, this one lady? Her car was skidding. She was sliding down the hill and she gets out of the vehicle. <laughs> It's not a tuck and roll. She just opens the door, scoots out, and lets the car do do what it will. Yeah. That is like throwing your hands up. Jesus didn't take the wheel for well, her, she sadly. She stayed in the car like because she jumped, like he was slowly rolling down the hill. It wasn't too bad, but it was rolling down. If, if she, <laughs> she, jumped, she jumped out like it was some sort of Hollywood movie. Like, and like a train being, is about was, to hit. Yeah, and she <laughs> jumps out, but she left the door open so when the car slid and eased into the other vehicle it was the door that got snapped back the door did take the damage if she just stayed in it you can steer onto someone's lawn it's fine you know what it's a noose it's a skill that not everyone that not everyone has uh jazz how long did it take you to get home last night from from downtown two hours and 15 minutes i went a little later it's about 7 45 but it took uh, i left downtown at 7 45 took two hours and 15 minutes to get home like at almost eight o'clock that's brutal yeah yeah it's but it was it was going up grandville was a bit slippery but it was fine i took one of the side streets to get on oh it was very slippery in these arteries. Yeah. You know that's fine, but you know I, I slipped once. But I but I'm you know I had some training coming out of the interior yes. after all those years. You know what's up. You know uh, what yeah, you're doing. I like to believe, but but you know you got to be a little careful. I think people are driving a little too fast today. Yeah, just go it. slow. It costs no dollars to just go. <laughs> so it costs your time, but it's way. If you get stuck in a 17 car pileup, that's a lot more time than if you just went like 30 and a 50. I don't exactly. know when it's super icy. <laughs> On January 29th, Amazon will flip a switch and turn on ads for all of its Prime Video viewers. Users will have the option to pay, get this, $3 a month extra to remove the ads. Uh, Amazon executives aren't worried about uh, any sort of consumer revolt we're hearing. After all, people are paying Amazon 
For the fast shipping, Jack Ryan, the Reacher, and Thursday Night Football are thrown in for free. It's a move that has marketers salivating and a few legacy media executives actually waiting to see what happens. Well, joining me to discuss yet another streaming service turning to advertising is Rick Forchuk. He's a TV Week magazine columnist and a CKNW contributor. Rick, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure, Jazz. So prices go up uh, on January 29th. For those who want to opt out of commercials, $3 more. Uh, But the vast majority of people, I'm going to assume, are just going to keep the status quo. Uh, Do you think uh, Amazon can get away with this? Yes, I think they can. (laughs) Amazon Amazon is enigmatic. It can get away with an awful lot of stuff. And uh, I'm not sure that regular consumers really understand how powerful this organization is. Uh, not only is Amazon Studios a major force in making movies both for streaming and for theatrical release, it now owns MGM. So MGM is an Amazon company. And of course, this is really just a sideline when uh, you really look at what they really do. They really sell stuff uh, for delivery to your home or to your office or your business. So yeah, they can get away with it. And when you look at the mathematics involved, it's pretty interesting The fact that they're going to be offering this tier of service with commercials uh, means that uh, at the best estimate and the most conservative one, uh, they are going to be able to pick up an extra $3 billion in revenue from the sale of commercials. Also, they expect that people like me, because I'm, I'm not going to have the commercial version, I don't want to watch those commercials, so people like me will pay the extra 3 bucks a month, and that will account, they figure, for another $2 billion in revenue. So this one little move of going commercial adds $5 billion to the bottom line. And at the same time, Jazz, they have announced that they have now reduced their, uh, their workforce by 27,000 people. And tomorrow, uh, we're going to find out uh, on the weekend how many more people in Canada and the U.S. are going to be losing their jobs as Amazon streamlines, downsizes some departments, and uses some technical aspects to get better at what they do. So, yep, they can get away with it, and uh, you know what? I'm smiling because I love the service, I love the product, and if it's a few more dollars a month, well, you know what? So sad, too bad, but uh, I'll pay it. And, and, I, and I guess those who would be offended by this would, would also have to, as part of their conversation, go, well, I don't like the fact that I'm paying what I'm paying to Amazon, and I now have to watch commercials, and they want me to pay $3 more if I don't want the commercials. But if you leave, then you lose the free shipping. Exactly. That's the other thing, because Amazon, uh, either monthly or annually, gives you free shipping through Amazon Prime. And that in itself, if you use this service once or twice a month, pays for itself over the course of the year. And also, you get the the product, uh, the Amazon streaming. But nobody ever said when you got Amazon Prime that you'd get free streaming for the rest of your life. They just said that uh, it was something that was available. Well, now it's no longer available free, three extra dollars a month. So, yeah, they're, they're, they're a business that uh, is really amazing. They have tentacles everywhere. And at the end of the day, uh, there's still a, an organization that sells books and other merchandise uh, payable to your home. Um, Pretty cool. So Amazon uh, is adding advertising. Netflix has a tier that has advertising. Disney is talking about advertising. So yes. uh, from where streaming started to where it is today and where it's potentially going, is it safe to say the new TV is turning into the old TV? 
Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. I think that's exactly right. Uh, what they have done, if you kind of step back and say, what the heck happened here? What they have done is, uh, whether it's Netflix or whether it's Amazon or Disney Plus uh, or Apple TV, is they have created a demand for their product. They've made it available at a very reasonable price. They've delivered an excellent product. They now have a very huge customer base and... If they want to raise their prices, they will. And uh, where's that customer base going to go? I don't want to lose my Amazon service, and I don't want to lose my Disney Plus, and I don't want to lose my Netflix. So if it's a few dollars more, I will pay because I think it's good value for the money. And uh, I don't call it customer abuse. It's not that. But there's a lot of latitude, I think, to what you can do with customers once you have them hooked in with a really good product. And that's what Amazon has done here, Jazz. And when I look at this, I also look at sort of the traditional family's budget. Some people will pay extra, but others are going to look at this and go, wait a minute here. I've got Netflix. i got Amazon. I like the free deliveries. Uh, you know, I've got Disney for the kids. You may have Apple as well. Then you've got your traditional television. You've got your specialty shows like Home and Garden TV. You may love sports. You've got TSN, uh, Sportsnet. Uh, somewhere along the way, when it comes to the family budget, yeah, folks are going to look for savings somewhere. Where do you think those savings are going to come from? Is it sort of traditional linear television? Uh, is it a question of perhaps people saying, you know what, I'm going to drop one of my subscription services. I don't need all of them. Well, how do you think this is going to shake out over the next few years? Because something has to give here when it comes to the family budget. Yeah, that's exactly right, because it's uh, it's not inexpensive to be able to uh, look at all of this entertainment. And it seems to me, Jazz, that the uh, at the bottom line here, uh, what people are going to do is cut the cable a little bit, uh, dropping some of their cable services. I just did a little bit of an in- inventory myself the other day, and um, I found that I have uh, something called Hollywood Suite, which is three channels, and they're primarily old classic movies, not as old as Turner classic movies, but it's part of my uh, Shaw package, my Shaw cable package. And um, I also looked and found that... Uh, through Discovery and through two other um, streaming services that I have, I have exactly that package. I'm paying for it twice. So I either will drop it from the streaming service or I'll drop it from my cable. So once I start looking at the cable and I think, well, maybe there are other things like this that are either duplicates or things that I really don't need any longer, and my guess would be for the average family, to put that in context with your question, would be that uh, cutting the cable is going to be probably something that more people will do. I mean, it's happening dramatically in the U.S., Uh, It's not so dramatic in Canada, but each time there's an increase in the price of a product or service, it begs for us to look at what we've got and where we can save some money for sure. Yeah, it looks like cord cutting in the U.S., uh, even with um, very popular channels like sports channels like ESPN, they are uh, seeing a significant cut um, or or drop off in in customers. People are just saying, wait a minute here, I don't watch sports or I don't watch this type of entertainment. I'm just going to cut wherever I possibly can. So you're seeing some of that cord cutting um, occurring, that's for sure. Uh, in regard, I'm, I'm curious about sports as well here, just for a moment. Uh, I know Amazon has Thursday night football, and from what I've read, the ratings are really good. They're doing well. Do you see potentially these streaming services, either ESPN providing their services into Canada as a standalone um, a sports network, 
or perhaps the Netflixes of the world and even um, Amazon going further into the sports field, uh, potentially for basketball or, uh, you know, more more games from the NFL and the NHL potentially one day. Apple has MLS already, soccer. Uh, do you see these streaming services heading further into the sports um, the sports field? Yeah, I think it's inevitable, Jazz, because as long as there's a dollar to be made here profitably, uh, they'll continue to do it. And ESPN is owned by Disney, so Disney has the market cornered two different ways there, because ESPN is a cable channel, but uh, you can also get a streaming version, and it can be part of your Disney package as well. And for sure, there's a lot of sports out there. Uh, you mentioned Thursday night football, but uh, what about what about hockey night in Canada on a Saturday night in the old-fashioned way on a streaming service? Somebody's bound to pick that up because it's a nostalgia item, and that will be the case, I think, with a lot of sports items. So uh, it's an ever-shifting marketplace, and um, I don't think the consumer is the loser here. We have more choice than we've ever had before. And if anything, we can't ever possibly watch all the stuff we've got available to us. And that's okay because um, it, you know, it's like uh, Baskin-Robbins having 31 flavors. Everybody likes something a little different. So choice is a good thing, Jazz. Yeah, it is amazing that you can still watch amazing content from other parts of the world uh, that are available on your cell phone to your big screen at home or to your iPad. Um, it's interesting that we've changed so much when it comes to our entertainment and what we consume, but it also gets back to uh, uh, the the new TV still acting like the old TV in this case. When it comes to Amazon, still requiring uh, advertising. Still requires advertising because it's a commercial venture. And they're there to make money. There you go. Uh, Rick, thank you so much. Have yourself a wonderful weekend. Bye-bye. Goodbye now. is over. That's all. Thank you. All right. That's a wrap. It's Friday, and this is The Wrap on the Jazz Joe Hall Show. Thank God it's This week, we reminisce about the Canadian winter that came to Vancouver and the impromptu summer tire festival that followed. And, of course, the golden ouch. We still can't get over Joe Coy bombing at the Golden Globes. Is it finally time to kill the award show genre? Joining us today is our regular rap panel, Leah Lives, the TV reporter and radio host. Sarah Daniels is a real estate agent in South Surrey, author and broadcaster as well. Happy New Year, Leah and Sarah. Happy New Year! Happy New Year. All right. Well, commuters are being warned to expect delays and exercise caution, of course, during uh, this afternoon's um, uh, rush hour here in Metro Vancouver. This, of course, follows Thursday afternoon. Uh, problem, significant snowfall, of course, which created chaos during the afternoon commute. Combined with sub-zero temperatures, the somewhat sudden snowfall meant that the roads quickly turned to ice. Videos posted on social media captured a series of crashes and fender benders. Environment Canada said snow varied around the region, but guess what? Many places at sea level likely received a whopping two centimeters. Take a listen. <laughs> Get out the road! Oh my god, no, not this one too! Oh, oh, oh. The whole road is just ice. It hasn't been salted. It's just like a lot of cars, man. A lot of cars moving slow. No one has like uh, tires on and stuff. What would you tell anybody thinking of heading out right now? Just don't. Just don't stay home. Just don't, just stay at home. Not just yesterday, probably for the whole weekend. All right, well, Leah, let me start with you. Why do we have so much trouble with snow in this city? 
I don't know. I mean, like, wake up. We were warned, right? We were warned like five days before we should be out there salting at least two to three days before getting it prepared for it. I mean, two centimeters, everybody back east that I know is laughing at us. They're like, you guys got two, two centimeters and it's chaos. I'm like, yes, 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 that's us. I mean, they get like five feet and they can drive around. What is going on here, lower mainland? What is going on? Sarah, should we just by law make it mandatory? Or you have to get winter tires. Well, at at the very least, all season or all wheel drive. I don't know, and and I, I will say I, <laughs> I know that especially electric vehicles in this kind of weather that can be problematic for range. And I also just wanted to say this is a, just a little thank you to a, a young man named Zach Stefaniak who is going to be joining the Abbotsford Police Force. And the reason I'm saying this is because I helped um, on my way home from Safeway today. I saw a gentleman whose electric scooter had like basically oh. the, the the battery had died. Oh. And oh, he no. was like a, a long way from home. And I had seen him and I thought, this is not going to end well. I parked my car. I got out. I started pushing him. And this lovely young man, as all the other traffic is going by, and there I am trying to push this scooter down the road. He stopped and helped me. He's going to be a police officer. Well done, Zach Stefaniak. Just I thought you were going to say you are going to put a rope and tow him home. <laughs> no, no. He, well, no. But. But, but the thing is, these like this is the thing is that people, Canadians, like on the West Coast, we're just not compa- prepared. So, no. I mean, it, it's just bonkers. Down here in South Surrey, where I live, they were salting all the roads and we got nothing. Yeah, we got no snow. Yeah, same yeah we got no the snow and they salted no everything. I left at 7.45 last night. A little later, I had to meet a friend downtown. <laughs> so I said, I don't want that eight-hour commute. I'm just going to wait a little no. while. 7.45. It still took me two hours and 15 minutes. Uh, to get home, and I left at 7.45. And it, 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 forget the side streets. I went from Granville over to Oak, and the side streets are just atrocious. I mean, I, I East West Connector, right, had 25-vehicle accident? Like, yeah. what is going on? It's People not People just, they, they, they start tailgating, they drive too fast, or they, they no. try and, like, to they try and gun it a little bit to catch up, and then they fishtail. Yeah. I mean, and then the thing is, especially, I don't care where you are, if there's a hill, don't go on it. Like, this mm-hmm. is not brain surgery. This is not science. That Like, actually, it is science. It's like, you know, a slippery slope and a heavy vehicle equals disaster. So <laughs> when you see it, don't go down it. Oh, you, you, know, s- I, you know, I realize you might have to walk um, from the, where you parked your car uh, an extra kilometer home. But just leave your car. Like, don't. Don't do it. Oh, Keith Baldry. People were abandoning them. They oh, were. they were, yeah. but Keith Baldry yeah. told me he was one of the uh, um, officers at the ledge was showing up pictures of a guy in shorts on his motorcycle, completely oh unaware of what was coming through. You had <laughs> folks driving, you know, with the top down oh on their car God. yesterday oh. as the snow was falling here in Vancouver. What? Oh, yeah, it, it was not. People well, don't blue watch the news for apparently. a while. Yeah. Oh, no, we man. are not, we, as a group on the West Coast, when snow falls, we are not the brightest bulbs on the tree. Yeah. Exactly. No, I was watch. I was looking at the maps last night, and they were red to like ten, all over yeah. the place. Oh yeah, Highway one was a parking lot. I do not <laughs> miss tunnel. being a traffic reporter in this kind no, of stuff. No, I do not I miss you my too, old Sarah. job. I was driving I was like, in. I was driving God. in uh, this morning, just coming into work, and people are still driving too fast. I found yeah. on Highway 99 for the conditions. A lot of the slippery spots there. We're on to topic number two. Comedian Joe Coy was hired to host the 2024 Golden Globes just days prior. 
uh, to the ceremony, which took place uh, this past Sunday at the Beverly Hills Hilton uh, in Los Angeles. There's a tall, that's a tall task for anyone, especially with such a short mm-hmm. window to prepare. And the uh, comedian couldn't help to remind the audience uh, of that as he bombed as terribly, actually. Many of his jokes were in bad taste. They were loaded with sexism and were insensitive as well. Adding ad- insult to injury was the moment he threw his writers under the bus as well. Take a listen. Slow down. I wrote some of these, and they're the ones you're laughing at. The key moment in Barbie is when she goes from perfect beauty to bad breath, cellulite, and flat feet. Ah, or what casting directors call character actor. (laughs) Some I wrote, some other people wrote. Robert De Niro's here. Yo, I got the gig 10 days ago. You want a perfect monologue? Yo, shut up. You're kidding me, right? It was quite cringeworthy, that's for for sure. Uh, Leo, let me start with you. Uh, beyond the fact that Joe Coy didn't do so well, I mean, do you watch uh, do you watch these uh, award shows as much as he well, used to? I don't watch them as much, but I'll tell you, I wanted to watch this one because I love Joe Coy. If you've seen his stand up, he is hilarious. I think his issue actually was. As soon as they started to bomb some of the jokes, he turned into his stand-up act where he yells at the audience. Yeah. And you just can't do that with a room of celebrities. They're just, they won't accept that. You know, it's not like regular people in an audience. So I think that kind of affected him. I think they just want, you know, they just want to eat. They want to drink. They want to accept their awards. It's a tough crowd. I've hosted many events and I know what it's like to host, especially when you're with buttoned up people that don't want to have fun. Like that is the hardest job. But celebrities, it's kind of like that as well. They don't want to be made fun of. So he had a really tough job to do. If you're not a host and you're just a comedian, it's hard to slide into that. You have to read the room. And he just did not read the room. I think, you know, the Golden Globes, I watched some of them. I watched the Oscars for sure the Golden Globes I don't watch all the time and I only wanted to this year because of him so you know it was kind of like a, oh I watched him I cringed and I was like oh poor Joy Joey <laughs> Joe. Joe Joe Coy poor Joe and he's coming here in April too and I hope that doesn't affect people buying his tickets because he's hilarious I'm telling you Sarah, you gotta watch him on Netflix. Sarah like, I mean he did go after the crowd a little bit there but I mean so did Ricky Gervais and he was mm-hmm. doing well maybe the, the, the public loves that better than maybe Ricky, the celebrities there Ricky Gervais though does not care like he doesn't he care. Does not yeah. care. He would get up there and just zing people and then just laugh because he just did not care. He was also very well known. He'd come off the office in England. He was the original, you know, office and stuff. He's a well known comedian. Uh, Joe Coy, not as much. And here's the deal is, you know, if you're going to go up there, be self-deprecating. Like, um, we've mm-hmm. all hosted, all three mm-hmm. of us host a lot of stuff. Make some fun of yourself. Make, you know, like do anything else. But the real key here is... And this would apply to anybody. Ten days before a huge televised Hollywood event and you get the gig, that means a yeah. hundred people turned it down. Go with that flow. Like yeah, this is like if, you know, if you've only got ten days to prepare with writers for something this momentous, the answer was, Thank you, I'll be washing my hair that night. Yeah. It is not yeah. It is not. Sure, I'll try that because this is the thing is I've never seen his comedy act and he very well could be very funny. He's hilarious. But you don't you don't go after like, you know, the Barbie movie, which is like, you know, huge. What you do is you go after the studio heads. I mean, like Mm -hmm. David Zaslav, head of Warner Brothers uh, and uh, like Discovery. He's despised in the industry. If anybody follows that kind of stuff, there's Mm -hmm. your target. Like make fun of those kind of things. Don't shoot at the people in the audience. There's a whole much, lot more power there 
you know, that's going to yeah. come at yeah. you individually. What do you think of the idea that, you know, 15, 20 years ago, we had, a, as they call it, a monoculture that we all watched, at least TV, uh, differently. Uh, but generally, we all sort of watched and, and knew about the same cultural moments. Today, with streaming and online, it, we're not sort of watching the Catching same culture. Everything. Yeah, it's not the monoculture yeah. anymore. Do you think that's what's hurting uh, these award shows as well, Sarah? I'm, I'm very curious because, you know, a lot of the stuff you can just get on your Instagram feed the next day, you don't actually need to watch a three-hour award show anymore. Well, the, the thing is now is because they have, you know, the, the people like Tina Fey and Amy Poehler and Ricky Gervais, they don't want to host those things anymore. They get Jimmy Kimmel to do it for the Oscars year in and year out because ABC has the rights, right? But it's now, if I'm watching one of those shows, I'm hoping it's going to be a good set of presenters. Like they had Will Ferrell with, uh, uh, oh, forgot her name, but they were one of the presenters at the uh, at the Golden Globes, and they were great. So if, you know, that's what you end up sort of watching for. But yeah, I, I used to watch for the whole opening act. I mean, that Jimmy Fallon used to do it. Like there was a whole thing, Billy Crystal, uh, Whoopi Goldberg. It used to be a, a an event, and now half the time it's kind of, you know, the, the poor host is not necessarily used to hosting and they're just trying to string together segments. Yeah. And as you said, I mean, now it's not like you have to watch the show and wait the next morning to see the results in the paper. You can just go online and follow along and, you know, yeah, back that, and forth. there's not that same urgency. No, there is not. Absolutely. Ladies, we're out of time. Thank you so much and uh, look forward to another absolutely amazing year with uh, both of you on the Friday wrap. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Stay warm. Thanks for listening to the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can always listen to the Jazz Joe Hall Show live Monday to Friday from 3 to 6 p.m. on 980 CKNW and connect with me on Twitter at Jazz Joe Hall BC. Talk to you next time.